0: Welcome to FinTech Insider. I'm Simon Taylor from 11FS, and today I am delighted to chat to Mike Kelly, the co founder and CEO of Coal, a smart payments platform. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm not too bad. You were saying you were getting over the ill, you were sort of dealing with yeah, the Yeah, I didn't have
1: a great break over Christmas, so I got the uh, Australian flu. So.
0: Oh, man. Well, if you're here, you're alive, and now you're changing payments. Exactly. So, uh, ready so to go. Talk to me about Curl. It's written there on your t-shirt. There it is. Subtle branding. It's very subtle. You, you hit it with a jacket, but you can still do the super thing. Exactly. Um, so, what is it?
1: So, Curl is a new payment network uh, designed from scratch around merchants and consumers. It works via usernames and bank transfers and is built around open banking and the opportunities that's developed in the market. Wow, you've
0: practiced that a little bit, haven't you? <laughs> so, the... Um, Talk to me about usernames. You mentioned usernames. So this is like a Twitter handle sort of thing?
1: Yeah. So uh, on the curl network, when you join the network, you pick a username. And that works very much the same as Twitter or Instagram. Uh, The reason we picked that is because it's a very sort of commonly understood idiom for identity. So uh, that's a fancy way of saying everybody's used to having Twitter handles and Instagram handles. And so we thought building a network based around that same kind of idea of identity was actually quite a powerful concept.
0: So it's not dissimilar from Square's cash tag idea.
1: Yeah, very similar to that. Very similar to that. I think the, the difference between that and what we're doing is we're fundamentally not really a layer on top of the card networks. What we are is a, is a network. So we're not curl pay. We're not curl wallet. We're CURL and we're a network. And so what we've done is we've actually built a network from scratch around uh, open banking APIs.
0: So this is more like connecting the dots between the accounts themselves and the ability to move money. Exactly.
1: It's kind of like a kind of namespace Mm -hmm. that sits above account numbers and sort codes. So it's kind of an abstraction layer for interaction above the layer of sort code and account
0: numbers. What payem always should have been. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So talk to me about the business model. How are you going to make any money out of doing a network that just moves money around?
1: So we have a kind of three pillars, I guess, to our business model. I think in the short term, there's the business model around transaction fees. So we charge merchants a service charge uh, per transaction. Uh, That's about 50% of whatever they pay for card transactions. So that's a pretty pretty standard business model. It's kind of the vision of the company that over time, probably over the next sort of 15, 20, 25 years, uh, that that market will start to kind of collapse a bit uh, and that transaction fees will kind of cease to
0: be a business model. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, we've seen that with regulation, to a certain degree that yeah, transaction absolutely. fees have, have started to get squeezed so it, it seems logical that that's going to happen yeah, so. more so you're, you're looking at a really a very different model of making money than yeah, just so fees I think as
1: the business evolves we're going to get more into obviously data so I mean data is a, is a huge part of the network our transactions are smart payments include the line item data in a transaction so when you make a payment you get a digital receipt which has all the line items you bought and it even includes the loyalty and rewards you're getting so if you're buying a coffee from a coffee shop you get a receipt that showed the coffee you earned but it will also include the loyalty points that you got from the coffee shop that you were buying from. And we can use this data to kind of uh, provide brands with aggregated insight into their consumers. So importantly, what we wouldn't be doing is we wouldn't be uh, sort of providing that data on the whole to a third party, what we'd be giving them is a platform where they can understand their consumers in
0: an an aggregated way. So that kind of Talks to who is your customer then, because you're talking about people making purchases in a merchant or a retail. Location. I'm guessing then your customers are not the retailers or is it the, the consumer themselves? Who, no. who, who's using Curl? Who, who's buying from you?
1: It's a, it's a good question. So we have a relationship both with merchants and with consumers. So we have a consumer app. We're a cross-merchant app. So it's not a white-label product. When you join the Curl network, you download the Curl app from the app store and you pick a username on the network. And when you interact with brands and, and, and retailers through the network, it's through the Curl app. So we do have a relationship with the consumers. But ultimately when we think about sort of selling in our pipeline, that's actually the retailers. So um, often when you build a network, uh, you're faced with a kind of chicken and egg scenario, a two-sided market, where if you don't have consumers, then it has no value to merchants. If you don't have any merchants, it doesn't have value to consumers. So what's interesting about the approach that we're taking and about payments in general is that merchants actually already have a relationship with the consumer. So it's actually the case that as long as we can incentivize the merchants to push customers off of paying with card and onto paying with curl, we actually sort of overcome this, what would be assumed to be a two-sided kind of uh, chicken and egg problem.
0: And we've seen this, a little bit um number of banks but also a number of merchants probably in the u.s i think walmart has their own um, payment initiatives we've seen tesco in the uk has their own pay with quick um, yep. i think so there's there's definitely a business case that i think some merchants have seen but then how does that business case translate to a merchant what does that actually mean for them why why should they move from visa and mastercard and Amex that have great acceptance and and lots of people with cards in their pockets to to a new payment? Mm -hmm. No,
1: I mean, it's a good question. So I think one of the key elements of our proposition, obviously, is the reduction in transaction fees. Mm -hmm. So depending on, I mean, it depends on the sort of scale of the merchant as to what that fee actually is. But to give a a sort of ballpark idea of how much more cost effective we are, we're at least 50% or whatever they're being charged by their card processor, which for, you know, a large organization like John Lewis or any kind of grocery store. Store or a large retailer, you know that's that's a, not an insignificant entry in in their P and L. So that in and of itself is fairly compelling. There's also other elements. So our payment method is what's described in the kind of payment world as a pull uh, as a push based mechanism rather than a pull based mechanism. Right. And what that means is that when a retailer takes a payment from a customer, they send a request for payment. So they'll ask you to pay them. They don't take the token from you and pull the money out of your bank account. And to a long story short, that leaves the merchant in a situation where they're, they, they have no liability for fraud on our network. So they don't have to deal with anything like PCI DSS and they don't have to deal with handling sensitive information like credit card details.
0: So we'll get into some of the fraud and some of the complications around uh the the costs and, and some of the advantages of data in a little bit, but let's just deal with the uh the, the great white elephant in the room. Uh it's January the sixteenth today. Open banking has begun. What does that mean for you at Curl? And does it make a difference? Were you guys already compliant? Like is open banking making a real difference to your business?
1: So open banking is making a real difference to our business. And the reason it's making a difference is because it's starting a process whereby open banking is coming to market. So um although, you know, that so at the time of us having this conversation, um I think one of the banks has made it over the line to deliver, one of the CMA9 has made it over the line to deliver. Uh, in time. But I think having the APIs in market is one thing. The most important thing for us is that open banking is on the agenda of major UK retail banks. So it's made for the first time, it's made building a new payment network possible. So up until now, uh, the banks have effectively kind of monopolized control over a customer's account. If you have a bank, you know, whichever bank you bank with, they control which pipes get connected to the account that you have with them. And that's been the case forever. What open banking has done is it's kind of sh- massively shifted the tables and it's given autonomy to consumers and merchants and it's made building a network that's designed around the needs of consumers and merchants possible because banks no longer kind of hold control over the customer's account
0: but that sounds like a lot of stick for um, for the banks not a lot of carrot there's no upside mm-hmm. and so what is the advantage to banks both of the making this data available but also for, for the core of what you do?
1: Yeah, that, that's a super that's a super interesting question. So what we've been trying to focus on is talking to banks about, first of all, our vision for transaction fees and how that will trend towards zero over the next you know, 20, 25 years. And it's almost inevitable given what's happened with open banking and the trajectory of the industry uh, is to think about what those new business models might be. And the one that we're focusing on um, at the moment is uh, installment credit at the point of sale. So for example, if you're buying a 5,000 pound TV and you're at the point of sale Uh, through the curl network you'd be able to um, ask the finance world okay i want to pay with this over six months Uh, what would that cost me and allow the 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 banks to be able to provide that credit product on demand and that's quite interesting for the bank for a couple of reasons first of all it's a completely new product it's a new revenue line for them which obviously is a a good thing but secondly it's a much more efficient way of the bank being able to deliver credit to customers if you have a ten pound credit line on a credit card Uh, From the bank's point of view, that sits on their balance sheet, but you might only, let's say, use £3,000, £4,000 of that credit. So the rest of that credit is dead, but it sits on the bank's balance sheet. Whereas if instead the bank is allocating the credit at the point of need, it's a much more efficient way of the bank allocating credit. So it's less costly for them and and more efficient. So it's
0: credit related to the purchase, but we've seen credit at the point of sale for many decades in in many countries I guess the difference you're saying here is but this is driven by the transaction and it becomes optional at the point of sale which was harder to do before because you didn't know what somebody was buying you didn't know anything about their context uh, where they were the item they were buying um, were they your customer have you KYC'd them you can potentially now provide them with all of that information to make an automated decision Am, have I understood it right
1: yeah absolutely and it's also a digital channel so there's a lot we can do around the customer experience they don't have to sit and fill in forms in order to get the credit etc etc so there's there's a lot we can do that actually um, creates value not only for merchants because potentially you know they're not losing sales that otherwise would have walked out the door it's better for consumers because potentially they're making payments or purchases that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to make if they weren't able to spread it out and it's better for the bank because it's a new product that's more
0: efficient uh, from a credit point of view so let's no doubt let's let's get technical because I'm kind of interested. How do you actually make these payments? Like, how are you? Uh, where are you connecting to? How are you validating them? And then, how is your network doing it differently to say a uh, Visa, Mastercard, faster payments? What what's the what are the core differences? Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. So I'll start let's, with just take a couple I'll start minutes. start with
1: how it works. So how it works is you download the app, you pick a username on the network. And then you connect that username direct to your bank account. So that's going through an open banking flow. Uh, Essentially, we push you to your banking app. Uh, Your banking app presents you with a screen that says Carl would like permission to instruct payments on your behalf. Uh, You hit authorize and you enter in your PIN or use biometrics. And then that gives us it gives our network a token that we can use to act on your behalf with your, um, with your bank. So we, once we have that token, are able to tell your bank account to send money from your bank account direct to your friend or to a retailer. So the network builds up. We have lots of usernames with their bank accounts connected. And then when you go into the store, you might say, okay, I want a couple of cappuccinos and a, a flat white. And what they do is your phone uses Bluetooth to tell the point of sale that your, at Simon Taylor fifty three. You say, okay, I wanna pay with curl and the, the the list of curl users is actually presented to them on the point of sale. So the point of sale is integrated with the network. They send you a request for payment, and that pops up on your phone. So that request for payment means that you are effectively using the Curl app. as what We kind of describe it as using the Curl app as a secure remote control for your bank account. You The money only moves when you use the app and you tell your bank account to move money around. And this is where the difference between the card network and the Curl network comes in, is that the card network is different in the sense that you actually give the card details to the merchant And the merchant reaches into your bank account and pulls the money out of your bank Mm -hmm. account in the curl model they send you a request for payment and you push the money to them uh, through the curl network
0: uh, and that reduces- pushing it Sorry, through yeah. the curl network or are you sort of uh, actually talking to one of the curl payments engines in the UK are you actually instructing a bank to push that payment yeah, so, from, so, from, from retailer to merchant you're not actually making the payment inside your network you're just moving tokens around that represent those payments and then instructing the banking network yeah so work.
1: from a kind of funds flow point of view uh, we don't intermediate the funds so um, this is part of the sort of PISP um, yeah. style PSD2 payments thing uh, it's much better from us from a regulatory point of view if we don't intermediate the funds uh, instead um, of intermediate the funds we actually send the merchant an invoice at the end of the month instead the transaction is on our network and the transaction is authorized on our network um, we use a whole bunch of cryptography in the phone so if you really want to nerd out mm-hmm. uh, we use the trusted execution environment in the phone mm-hmm. yeah. so if you have an iPhone this is called the secure enclave mm-hmm. and essentially what this is is like a little hardware. Black box that's able to kind of cryptographically sign stuff. And so when you get a payment request in, the app, when you choose to pay, will challenge you to use your biometrics. And what's actually happening there is the secure enclave uh, is being asked by our app to sign the transaction. And the only way the secure enclave will ever sign the transaction is if you use uh, your thumbprint or face ID on Mm. iPhone X. And that actually is really good from us, from our point of view, because it means that our app doesn't actually have... Uh, control over the private key that's used to sign the transaction, Mm -hmm. uh, which essentially just means if the consumer authorizes the transaction using biometrics, we actually have cryptographic proof that the customer took that action. uh, And there's no way for us to forge um that signature could only have been
0: done by. so consumer. on the one hand you're pretty secure in that you're using the latest and greatest technology these phone devices can offer you on the other hand you're pretty secure in the fact that you're not actually moving money you're just instructing a bank to do it on the customer's behalf at a later date so effectively you've built as you, you use the term auth an authorization network but for sort of local clearing
1: yeah authorization so identity and authentication authorization are big parts of our network and then there's also this kind of customer experience bits there's a lot that we've done around experience in store uh, the payment flow online uh, we built loyalty and reward into the transaction so we've done a whole bunch of working with merchants over the course of the last sort of 18 months to figure out what their needs were and figure out you know if, if we had this payment layer what would the ideal payment network look like uh, and a lot of them you know point to having loyalty built in seamlessly uh, but also ultimately especially for small medium-sized retailers consumers only use about four or five apps on their phone and they tend to be network apps. If you're a Starbucks or bigger retailer, potentially you have the kind of distribution to get away with having your own app. But if you're in a sort of SME style retailer, Have uh, encouraging a consumer to have an app for every single retailer they deal with is not great. So a lot of those features that those small, medium-sized businesses want to see in their kind of, or they would want to see in a bespoke app that was for their brand, we can actually build those features onto the network and therefore they can provide that digital experience to the customer without all the overhead of having their own app.
0: But isn't the same true for yourselves? Don't you also risk being an app that's not one of those four or five? Because what I'm referencing here is what we've seen in in China with Alipay and and WeChat and so on from Tencent, in that they've become part of the social operating system of that entire country and payments are baked right in. An authorization network like yours could equally fit into WhatsApp as it could to any messenger app from Facebook or or even Instagram. You could, you could slot it up behind that experience. And I guess from a merchant's perspective and even from your perspective, how important is the coal app versus the coal network?
1: That's a good question. So I think Facebook or any of the big technology companies that ha- already have consumer distribution could start to enter this space and almost definitely will. I think that's inevitable and it's a you know a challenge that we have to meet as a business. WhatsApp is a good example of a business that in theory, you know everybody could have said, well, why are you starting that business? There's already Facebook, there's already et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, all these businesses could, could produce. And the reality is that they came up with an experience and a value proposition that resonated with people and they grew. Mm-hmm. And so our vision is there's nobody really in the uk that's executing on this there's a few propositions that are starting entering into Mm -hmm. peer-to-peer but there's nobody who's really looking about the kind of consumer experience in store and online from a kind of uh, consumer payments perspective so we're focusing on that angle uh, to begin with because we think we can kind of create a step-changing customer experience
0: so it's really taking that startup approach to how do i create Massive growth as as a growth hacker as somebody yep. who's launching a product that you believe is better rather than saying hey i 'm going to attach to all of these other things it's it 's really you believe you can drive that growth yep. uh, so I was struck by uh, this concept of auto payrolls and, and payments requests what 's an auto pay rule
1: so auto payrolls is a kind of engine that we built inside of the network and this is used for subscriptions so for example, if you had a Spotify subscription that you were paying with Carl or any other kind of subscription you can set up an auto pay rule so that you don't have to authorize the transaction on your phone every single time you just authorize the auto pay rule and then it picks it up and makes the payment on your behalf so that's the kind of online subscription kind of version Uh, the way this works in store is what we're calling hands-free payments And the way this works is if you go to a coffee shop, so you have a regular coffee shop, there's one downstairs called Black Sheep. If you went to this coffee shop every day, you have a relationship with them, you trust them, you can actually give them on the network what we call a hands-free permission. And what that means is you walk up with your phone in your pocket. The phone tells the point of sale that, you know, this is Simon Taylor. You say, I want my regular cappuccino. They send you the payment request, and your hands-free permission picks it up and pays for it for you. Love So that. from your point of view, your phone stays in your pocket. You get a push notification confirming the transaction's been made. You're left with a digital receipt on your phone, but you didn't have to do anything. You had a completely seamless experience. Didn't even
0: have to take my phone out of the pocket it. to do a, so an Android Pay. No
1: contactless, no anything. It just happens completely seamlessly.
0: But you're preventing fraud, I'm guessing, by the geolocation? What what are you doing?
1: So there's a lot that we can do around anti-fraud. Obviously, we can use geolocation. We could do a whole bunch of stuff where you've got the phone open. But from a hands-free point of view, this is a permission that you would grant to retailers that you trust right so the idea is that we we will basically uh put a limit on that let's say it's 10 20 pounds 30 pounds something similar to contactless but it's only actually granted to the retailers that you have a kind of trusted relationship with
0: so let me set up this scenario then so there's a coffee shop i'd potentially go to every day um i have a loyalty stamp card with that coffee shop i could now set inside the pay with coal app i go to this coffee shop every day i'd like a hands-free experience i'd walk up and ask them for a coffee they'd give me a coffee i'd get a receipt for the coffee in my app and the loyalty stamp yep. and i and all it would get to the point where it was the 10th coffee and they'd just be like oh here's your free one pick it up and it pay for it automatically exactly well that just sounds lovely i wish you every yeah. success with that. well and so
1: this is yeah. this is the interesting thing because we focused on these user experiences we've done a lot of user research both with merchants and with end consumers and so you know if facebook or any of the other tech vendors want to come into this space i think you know beyond peer-to-peer payments i think there's a, there's a fair bit of kind of product development that needs to happen it's not just something where you kind of plug a PSD2 rail into your Facebook account and then everybody starts paying each other. There's there's a, there's a fair bit of work that needs to be done to develop the proposition.
0: That's the key always, isn't it? It's about what is that user experience behavior change that's actually going to make people adopt this thing.
1: Yep, And that's really our key metric as a, as a business is we're trying to figure out how can we change consumer behavior. So if you're a regular in a coffee shop and that coffee shop accepts Curl, they invite you to start paying with curl Mm -hmm. ultimately first of all do you start paying with curl when they offer it to you and so we're working with merchants on schemes around that so for example you get a free coffee the first time you play with curl which means you don't even need to potentially connect your bank account the first time you experience the app but the big question is can we then change consumer behavior over time so when they come back do they choose to use curl or do they just go back to their previous behavior of using card and this is actually one of the things that apple pay and samsung pay and android pay have actually failed quite badly on which is that especially in store they haven't really changed consumer behavior and most of the metrics show that although they saw quite a lot of uptake in the very early stages quite a lot of that has dropped off and they actually haven't managed to change consumer behavior in
0: store. they're largely serving niches people who can't carry them cards with them for whatever reason are, are able to use them but if you can use card people tend to prefer them uh, which which kind of makes me think do, are people not just going to prefer card to using CO?
1: our feeling is that by kind of including uh, loyalty and reward Uh, by setting up things like hands-free payments to improve the customer experience uh, and by working with merchants, ultimately, to incentivize consumers to change their behaviors. So, for example, it might be if you pay with card, you get seven coffees in the eighth free. But if you pay with curl, you get six in the seventh free, for mm-hmm. example. And so this is why it all comes down to aligning the incentives of the merchants. And that's why, you know, when I describe the company, I would say, you know, we're a payment system designed to serve the needs of merchants and consumers. And the reason for that is because by aligning the incentive of the merchants, effectively, they become distributors for us. And that's very important in terms of our kind of approach to to growth. How's that going? Good. So we're kind of uh, constrained in the sense that we're looking at East London. Uh, We've also picked quick sale retailers, which is basically coffee shops and takeaways, uh, the main reason for that is because the demographics are pretty good in East London. Uh, there's a lot of tech early adopters. Uh, it Also, there's a lot of independent quick sale merchants. Independent merchants tend to move a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we have relationships with bigger retailers, and they're very keen on cutting their costs and improving customer experience. But they just have big legacy systems, and they have points of sale software that they don't control that are outsourced to third parties. And it takes, you know, a while to kind of get the ball rolling with them. So we focused on independent merchants in East London because they they tend to move a lot faster.
0: Are you funded, do you think, to be able to survive longer sales cycles with bigger merchants? And do you see concentric rollout being key? Because I'm guessing you're looking for acquisition proof points first before you're looking to expand and staying lean whilst that's the case.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we're focusing on East London. Uh, We may go to some other pockets of London, Uh, but I think we'll probably focus on independent quick sale retailers because they're where we see the most traction. They're suffering the most in terms of card fees. It's, It's the kind of lower hanging fruit Uh, And I think it's it's key for us to show that we can change consumer behavior. And takeaways and coffee shops, uh, this is your everyday spend. It's the most likely environment for us to be able to show that actually, you know, ultimately the carrot that we're dangling is significant enough to change how consumers behave.
0: Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank. And the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the innovation acceleration platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details visit marketplace.temenos.com. So let's tie this all together. Uh, You've got I think the advent of open banking, which potentially gives you the opportunities to introduce push payments to consumers um, by finding these new user experiences like the auto pay, was it the uh, hands free payment experience, you can potentially both reduce fraud, increase um, conversion to merchants and have some benefits to banks in terms of data and being able to push credit. Yep. Is that the story? It is perfect spot on. So what happens next?
1: It's a good question. Hopefully we grow. Uh, Uh, That's, that's really the, you know, the, the, the most important metric for us is that we grow. So we need to acquire merchants. Uh, those merchants need to be you know encouraging their customer to pay in with curl we need to see growth and that's what we're focusing on in this year so we spent basically the last 12 18 months in a kind of r&d phase where we've been building building the proposition testing it with merchants we've done some very small kind of uh, beta alpha testing with users and so what we're doing this year is we're working with independent coffee chains independent coffee shops in east london basically to kind of start the ball rolling on on that rollout process so growth is is, is key for us over the coming 12 months
0: what do you think your risks are? What's gonna what's gonna prevent success? What's what's bothering you?
1: There's competitive risk, obviously. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned the obvious candidates who move into this space. Amazon have a proposition called Amazon Pay. There's many parties looking to get into this space. Clearly, there's a risk around open banking. So right now, uh, one of the banks has delivered on their open banking um, obligations. Uh, there's another eight banks that are still yet to deliver. Um, so there's definitely a risk that this stuff doesn't pan out in the timescales that we need. We've somewhat mitigated against that. So we have the ability to connect to banks that don't have APIs anyway. So really that risk is more in terms of if we grow too quickly and we're connecting by debit card, which basically means we have to eat a load of fraud and card processing fees in order to provide that experience to you. If your bank doesn't have an open API, it means that potentially our costs could increase. So there's a risk there. The biggest risk is growth, is creating value for merchants, creating value for users, changing their behavior. If we can't do that,
0: then we don't have a business. I think that's fairly, fairly uh, wise words there. So talk to me about you. Uh, like why, why this problem? Why, why co-found curl? Co? Why, why this? Why has it bothered you? Is Has there been a, a sort of an angry moment or a sad day or what, what was the, what's the journey? Uh, so
1: I think really the, the key for me was I, I spent a bunch of time working for challenger banks in the UK. Um, So in the very early days of the challenger banks, when we were st- sort of building the first iteration of their core banking system, thinking about, of how the bank could have an API and what a smart bank would look like. And I always kept coming back to it's actually quite hard to build a smart banking proposition if you don't have smart payments. So the example I always give is if you go to Tesco's and you spend 50 quid, the bank can't see whether you're spending 50 quid on living essentials or whether you're spending 50 quid on one bottle of red wine to show off to your partner. Mm-hmm. And those are two completely different kinds of transaction that if the bank wants to be a kind of smart bank that's helping you manage your finances and have a healthy financial life, unless they have visibility into those transactions, they actually can't build uh, those experiences. On some level, you can, you can figure out, um, you know, obviously if it's, if it's an independent coffee shop, you can figure that, figure out they're buying a coffee. But actually, when you get down to the nuts and bolts by losing all of that data, it actually makes it very hard to build a smart banking experience. So while I was working at the Challenger Banks, I was kind of thinking about this. Uh, obviously, open banking uh, was a thing that was starting to happen. PSD2 was in progress in Europe. And so I figured, you know what? Given what's happening with the API space, uh, given what's happened with challenger banks, there's clearly regulatory and competitive pressure that's going to make bank APIs possible. And therefore, maybe we can build a new payment system based on APIs instead of based on the card networks. And that was really the that was
0: the original inspiration. Quite a story. Uh, <laughs> so there's some questions we ask everybody for the benefits of listeners or viewers uh, who might be moving into the space or just starting at the beginning of their careers in FinTech. You've mm. been around for a couple of years now. You've, you've yeah, had to go, a few, go, had a, go at a few things. How do you maintain some productivity in this space when things are changing all the time?
1: That's a very good question. So i I have quite a strict media diet, so I try not to over consume over-consume media. Uh, I think you can do too much of sort of trying to keep track of everything that's going on. I so think you should some just point, listen to
0: Fintech Insider. Uh, right? Yes, exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. So Fintech Insider is part of my um, is part of my media diet. But I think you know you need to. You need to cut through the, the signal and uh, the noise and cut through to the signal because there is, there's so much volume of content. And ultimately, if you want to deliver something, it's all well and good kind of looking around and seeing what's going on. But you actually need to figure out what you stand for, figure out where, where you sit and then
0: you know, move forwards. And the only way to do that is to stop listening and start doing. So Start doing. I like the sound of that. Um, you're a CEO. How do you motivate people to come join Cole to get stuff done?
1: So I think for us, we focus, the team is primarily delivery. So this is software engineers and product designers. Um, and I think the thing that's really good about our proposition is this is a kind of payments is a thing that everybody does every day. And so it's a very kind of real and apparent kind of product for people to work on. It's not some sort of esoteric mm-hmm. product that's, you know, going to be sold to a bank or or some other kind of financial institution. This is actually a, a product that ultimately, you know, everybody could use every day. And therefore people kind of, as soon as they see the product and I explain to them about, you know, the, the ecosystem, what's happening with open banking and the opportunity, actually we found that, you know, hiring people, p- people get very enthused very
0: quickly about what, what we're doing. I, I think for me, the killer was that um, hands-free payment. Uh, if you tell somebody that and it's like, do you want to come make this happen?
1: Yeah. So I, One of the things we've actually been thinking about, and this is this is probably never going to happen, but, but I really wish it would, is we're actually thinking about the kind of baller mode for, mm-hmm. um, for hands-free. So this is where we go to an insurer and we basically say, how much would it cost to insure someone to have hands-free everywhere so that you could just walk into a Lamborghini garage and just go, yeah, I want that car, get in turn the key, they could send you a payment request that would get paid automatically and you just drive off and you didn't have to pay for anything.
0: It's, uh, it's just, not about Lamborghinis with <laughs> cryptocurrencies lately. Hashtag <laughs> oh, yeah, Lambo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not go to hashtag Lambo. Uh, like, I'm sure there's better ways people could spend their money, but hands-free baller mode sounds pretty interesting. Um, so best career advice. Best career advice. Choose the companies you work for wisely. I
1: think you should always look to work for companies that are doing something different if uh, fundamentally if you want a fintech career you need to be working in startups i think it's hard to build a genuine fintech career inside of a bank if i'm if i'm being honest i think obviously you can but i think you make it a lot more difficult for yourself by placing yourself inside of a bank i think startups um, are, are the best
0: place to, to learn about what makes these companies tick I think a lot of people are afraid to make that jump too sometimes. They're worried about not having the pension. They're worried about not having the benefits and the, the security that comes with a larger organization. And there are people who have families, who have kids, who have a lot of experience that they could give to startups. But now some of these fintech companies are getting bigger. Who knows? Maybe there are opportunities. Well, exactly.
1: There are a scale-up fintechs now. So, I mean, if you if you wanted some kind of middle road, you know, there's fintechs that have kind of evolved a little bit, that have grown and have got to, you know, 200, 300-plus people and those are, you know, those aren't quite so risky in terms of taking a job with them. And there's, there's lots of interesting problems to solve where you can get really dug into the details. Whereas if you're in a sort of larger organization, you're more abstracted and more kept away from the, from the underlying, um, you know, technology or the underlying business processes. So last but not least,
0: where do people find out more about
1: you and Curl? Okay. So paywithcurl.com or at paywithcurl on Twitter and myself I'm at Mike Kelly 85 on Twitter if you want to see me rambling about
0: payments every now and again it is an enjoyable ramble at Mike <laughs> Kelly 85 um is, is one of my favorite rambles and you and I often get into some some fun debates as well so uh, I'm all for that by the way um thank you if you're listening to the podcast thank you if you're watching on YouTube uh, if you like what you've heard please subscribe to our podcast leave us a review on iTunes leave us a review um leave us comments on YouTube befriend us on Facebook or Twitter you can find us at Finn Tech Insiders. That's all for now. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Oliver.